Hello and welcome back to another episode of Political Agenda brought to you by New Narrative with me, PJ Thumb. Today we are speaking to Elijah Tay who comes back to the show to tell us about My Queer Story, um, which they founded when they were just 16, they're 19 now. So fascinating story about youth activism today. Um, before we go on, I am wearing a red batik shirt, sitting with two other people in front of a map of Southeast Asia, and my pronouns are he, him. This podcast is brought to you by New Narrative, and if you find it valuable, if you like the work that we do, please do join New Narrative as a member. We really need your support. You can go to newnarrative.com join or donate at newnarrative.com donate. We are heavily reliant on membership subscriptions and donations. So all the, the subscription fees that you pay, all the donations, go straight to supporting all this work that we do. Okay, and now Subash. Okay, so we are here with Elijah Tay of My Queer Story, but before we get to their story, we have, and let me introduce once again, my friend, Sean Francis Han, Editor-in-Chief of Wake Up Singapore. How are you today, Sean? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, really excited to get into this one. I mean, because this is the youngest uh, activist that we have had on the show, just period, right? Um, and also, it's it's kind of close to, to what I'm doing, right, which is social media, um, uh, cause-related activism. Uh, yes, but before we jump into any of that, uh, my name is Sean Francis Han, and I'm wearing a maroon basic tee and my pronouns are he him elijah tell us about yourself hi i'm elijah i'm 19 i use they them pronouns and right now i'm wearing a white t-shirt with an uh with an orange vest over it i still have green hair today yep okay nice <laughs> yeah. so uh really fashionable but let's let's get into who are you and how did you get into activism because you're 19 so i mean at what point you know did you did you make that decision? I, I need to get into this because you started uh, my queer story when you were 16. Yep. When I was 16, I was, what was I doing? I was 16, <laughs> I was like playing football and like video games. So yeah, how did, how did you get into activism? I don't think there was like one specific moment when I decided to go into activism. It felt like a very natural and gradual thing that okay. I got into. So um, at when I was 14, I realized that I was bi. For like the mm. longest time, I didn't even know what the LGBTQ plus community was. I've never heard that term before. Mm -hmm. And after like, um, like my friend like was like, hey, you know you might be bi. And I was like, what? What is that? <laughs> and then I went to like look it up and everything. Mm -hmm. And um, I started reading uh, other people's stories of like coming out or their own experiences of discrimination. And a lot of it came from like Western media because mm -hmm. there was barely anything that um, talked about Asian experiences with regards to being queer yeah. and um, all these jazz like on the internet at that point in time. It was a lot easier to find like um, YouTubers from like LA and like, <laughs> you know, like in the US. And from there, like um, I realized that, okay, first and foremost, I realized that, oh, I resonate with these experiences a lot. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm queer too. And another thing is like, because of reading about their experiences of like, say being kicked out of the house, facing violence at home, mm -hmm. um, I start to realize the gravity of the situation of like discrimination, um, like very quickly after realizing like the community exists mm -hmm. in the first place. So um, from there, I was sick too when I was 14. So mm -hmm. um, from there, like I, I wouldn't say I was, I decided to be an activist at that time, but yeah. I decided to speak up more about these issues mm -hmm. using my social media space to like have more conversations about these things. Mm -hmm. At that point in time also, I think Instagram just launched like the poll function or like the question function. Oh, yeah. So I used that a lot to like interact with my audience and like, hey, what do you think about this? Uh, if someone came out to you, like, like these kind of questions related to the queer community or like anything else like or oh, what do you think about like body hair like things that like people don't mm. usually talk about at that point in time and I thought was interesting to dabble into yeah especially since um I was in ASAP school people were relatively more conservative it was harder to have these conversations in person as well mm -hmm. so I used my social media space to as a platform for advocacy I guess mm -hmm. so gradually like um when the ready for appeal movement like came about 
um, I attended the town hall discussion. Mm-hmm. And during the discussion, they talked about like how it was important for queer people to share our stories of discrimination so that people realize that this is a real thing and it's not just like a hypothetical situation, you know? Mm-hmm. Like people are actually facing discrimination. People are actually uh, like just suffering under these uh, systemic and cultural mm-hmm. um, aspects of discrimination. Mm-hmm. So I guess like the more significant um, moment of like, I became an activist is when I started my queer story SG, mm-hmm. where there was, um, I don't know, I guess something set in stone to like um, signify, yeah. I guess my position as an activist, a very strong advocate for LGBTQ plus rights in All Singapore. Right. Yeah. So I'm, I'm kind of realizing now that, um, you know, there's, there's a pretty good reason why I could sit around and play soccer and video games, which is I wasn't queer. I wasn't subject to any kind of discrimination until much later. So that was, you know, that's why I could spend my, my, my teenage years just kind of, you know, chilling. Um, but I mean, what's becoming clear to me is that uh, your own identity, right, and you discovering your identity uh, played a very big part in you getting into activism, right? So you've talked about uh, discovering that you were bi at 14, um, but what about your gender identity? How did that uh, come about? Um, and then how was that like uh, coming out and, and really saying, you know, this is who I am? How did family react? How did friends react? And then how did that shape your activism? Mm-hmm. So gender identity came about like a few years after. Mm-hmm. So um, I was actually looking through like my old like telonyms, like these like anonymous questionnaires. Sorry, from, wait, like, telonyms, what's that? It's like... Um, there was, do you know, Ask FM? Oh my God, Something yes, like yeah. that, but like what we <laughs> use right now. So Ask FM, uh, maybe you want to tell us mm-hmm. what Ask FM is. Um, Ask FM is like uh, a platform where you can ask questions anonymously mm-hmm. and the person receiving it would just like answer okay. on their platform or like, usually right now people just screenshot the question and post it onto their IG story so that more people would see the response. Yeah. All right. So but, what's a telonym mm-hmm. then? It basically works the same way. I don't know why there was another platform created for it, but All like right. more people use it yep. rather than RSFM right now. Okay. Yeah. So I was looking through like my responses from three years ago mm-hmm. and there was someone who asked like, um, are you a boy or a girl? And then I answered like, actually, I also don't know. Then mm-hmm. <laughs> like, but at that point in time, I don't, I don't remember questioning my gender identity or anything. Mm-hmm. So like, I guess it was something that was always very like subconscious even though I didn't confront it like um explicitly yeah and but like my from what I remember of my journey of like um going through my gender identity exploring myself and all that Mm -hmm. was that in sec 4 like later in sec 4 because I was quite involved in model UNs where we had to refer to ourselves in third person Mm -hmm. so I realised eventually that I was very uncomfortable referring to myself using she her pronouns Mm -hmm. and um I had to write like these biographies right so um I asked like my mentor like um can I try like using they them pronouns in my bio Mm -hmm. Um, like I don't really feel comfortable referring to myself by she, her and that kind of stuff mm-hmm. and at that point in time I still have, haven't um, thought about the gender identity aspect it was still very like this is what I want to express mm-hmm. you know like in terms of gender expression yeah. so like my mentor was like okay and I was like great so like from there I kind of like for all my like whatever I had to write in third person I would use they them pronouns and gradually I think it took about a good year for me to like figure out like oh I'm actually also facing like gender dysphoria in terms of like chairs hips that kind of thing Mm -hmm. and um yeah I guess that's kind of how I came to terms with me being non-binary rather than the sex that I was assigned at birth which was female Mm -hmm. yeah well, I mean, I, I want to kind of get into uh, my queer story, what it is, right? Because we've talked a lot about it, but I, I want to get straight into it. So what exactly is My Queer Story SG? All right. So My Queer Story SG is a platform where LGBTQ plus persons in Singapore or LGBTQ plus Singaporeans can share their stories of discrimination. Mm. All right. Yeah, that they face, whether it is in the capacity of someone who lives in Singapore, have lived in Singapore, mm-hmm. is or was a Singaporean, is or was a Singaporean PR, right? Mm-hmm. Like, whatever discriminatory experience related to being in Singapore or part mm-hmm. of Singapore. So, um, what Micro Story SG does is uh, we accept 
um, like submissions through email mm-hmm. and like um, really just uh, curating these um, stories, these narratives mm-hmm. into text posts that we can upload onto social media mm-hmm. so that it's easy to be shared around. Um, so and over email, um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you take like DMs? Like do people DM you like... Um, administratively, like, it's easier it's to do easier it, to yeah, do it. Okay. via email. Yeah, there are some people who have DM who like really like don't know how to set up email or that yeah. kind of stuff. They're like, all right, all right, yeah, we'll, we'll do, do the admin yeah. there. Okay, <laughs> so I, I guess the question here is why compile stories about the LGBTQ uh, community? You know, because there there are pages out there that do sort of like infographics. Mm-hmm. There are pages that do like memes and callouts, and some of them are amplifiers or loud hailers. Um, why why compiling stories in particular? Mm. I guess like because this was a direct response to um, in twenty eighteen right like mm-hmm. um, our then minister of education Ong Ye Kung he said something along the lines of like LGBTQ plus people don't face discrimination in Singapore mm. so like this page was in somewhat <laughs> somewhat a direct response to that like um, NAFAM like there is discrimination that happens <laughs> like it's very real and these are unique individual experiences that mm-hmm. have happened to our own people mm-hmm. and you can't just say that it doesn't exist because like look at all these stories here mm-hmm. you know yeah so I guess that was my intention of the page when I first started it okay. like bringing light to the reality of LGBTQ plus discrimination, especially to people of privilege, people who are cishet, who do not quite comprehend that this is something that actually happens and mm-hmm. is a problem. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, I, I have to say, I think from uh, from the perspective of a lot of people who are not in the LGBTQ community, right, sort of looking at stories, looking at shared experiences, that could really help... Um, it could be a very transformative experience, I think, because, you know, once you, you know, I, I know stories of friends and family members, uh, you know, once they have an LGBTQ friend or, you know, a family member, then, you know, then they begin to understand their experiences. Then they begin to understand the discrimination that they're, they're just people, you know, they're not mm-hmm. anything scary or whatever. But getting back into the stories, right? So, you know, you've got many, many stories on your page and they're all fascinating. But, you know, can you share with us like one or two stories that, particularly affected you all right so um trigger warning uh, sexual assault mm-hmm. so there were quite a few stories that talked about how like say male persons they were sexually assaulted sexually harassed by okay not male persons but people who were born and assigned as male yeah but not necessarily identifying as a male person right now so they have faced sexual assault from people who are male identifying as well and because of legislation like Section 377A, they mm-hmm. fear making a report because of the legal consequences they might face even as a victim. Because right. like, it, it penalizes um, like sex between men, right? So yes. like, there is hesitance and or there is like questions of like, if I make the report, would I be like mm. um, convicted under the law as well? Yeah. <laughs> like, is that considered like... You know, does that fall under Section 3778? Mm-hmm. So, like, even though, like, um, our leaders, they say, oh, we are not going to enforce the law, but it is there. So, mm-hmm. like, there's always that risk of, like, um, I'm already a victim of sexual harassment. So, if I make the report and I become a victim of this law as well, then, like, what what now? What, mm-hmm. what, what Where are the laws that are supposed to protect me, right? Mm-hmm. So, I guess um, this was... This, like, stories like these, like, live an impact on me because it really reflects how the day-to-day experiences is very much tied to the systemic issues of discrimination as mm-hmm. well. Yeah, there were also a few, oh, I remember there were quite a few that talked about like um, being in a Christian background or mm-hmm. a Christian household and fearing, um, like fearing like coming out or like coming out and then facing uh, comments like oh we're gonna we're gonna turn you straight it's all right like it's just a phase like these kind of things and there was even one account that talked about how there was this person who just went to see a doctor I don't really remember like what the context of the whole story was mm-hmm. but the doctor gave the person a biblical reference and like alluded that like being uh gay was a phase or something like that and I was like um <laughs> like aren't we supposed to be like secular you know like mm. a secular nation but like things like our religious beliefs can seep into like 
what is supposed to be a professional setting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So do you feel like uh, My Queer Story has been able to stimulate discussion or reach out to people who are on the fence or not ne- not necessarily on on your side right now, right? Who are not necessarily allies per se of the LGBTQ uh, community, right? Because I think there's a, there's a sense that, that some people have, that I have sometimes, right? Is that, you know, Wake Up Singapore is just kind of an echo chamber and, you know, we, we put our message out there and we call things out and we expose the hypocrisy and, you know, it's a lot, I think a lot of times it's it's roughly the same individuals who are getting the message, which is great, you know, um, but yeah, do you feel like you've been able to sort of reach further than people who are already allies? Mm, I think I have, because like, um, like in sector, right, like once I figured out that I was part of the LGBTQ plus community and everything, mm-hmm. um, I wasn't out yet at that time, but I started asking my friends like, what, what would you do if like you realised your friend like was queer like if oh. your friend came out to you these kind of things and like at the time I didn't have very supportive responses mm-hmm. there were some was like uh, okay I guess or like um, I would distance myself from them or like things like that but like right now they are following they've been following my queer story actually for quite a few years now and mm-hmm. some of them even repost like some of these stories or like okay. calls for story submissions onto their story mm-hmm. so um Definitely, I see that there's been a mindset shift Mm -hmm. from perhaps, like, being not so accepting or, like, on the fence to, like, being accepting and, like, understanding of LGBTQ plus experiences and wanting their followers Mm -hmm. to, like, know that these things are happening as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think there's definitely been a shift. Um, I mean, even my mom, like, she hasn't always been very accepting um, and after looking at the content that I post on Instagram, Mm -hmm. I feel like she has opened her mind up a little bit, been more understanding of like queer experiences Mm -hmm. and like um, how it's not a phase, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So I think it does help to bring perspective to the issues that are happening right in our homeland Mm -hmm. and are affecting people who just like live around us and who are just completely Mm -hmm. ordinary, normal people just like us. I think that's sort of one of the advantages of using a narrative to get your point across, right? Which is that it's a lot more human, it's a more lived experience and it's more relatable. Uh, you know, sometimes I think when you're trying to reach across the aisle and then you're saying like, you know, this is your hypocrite and your, you know, mental gymnastics, blah, blah, blah. Right? It's not exactly the most palatable. Um, yeah, it's not exactly the most palatable strategy. So I think, yeah, I, I'm going to think about that. Um, but, <laughs> but anyway, um, so yes, the mainstay of my queer story is in the name, which is compiling stories, right? Mm. But is there anything else that the page does? What else does my queer story do? I mean, other than compiling stories, it also amplifies stories that are already being circulated online with regards mm-hmm. to LGBTQ plus discrimination in Singapore. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the main crux of like what the page does. Um, right. I, I, don't, I currently don't have any plans on like how to expand it yet because personally, I don't have the capacity to do that at this mm-hmm. point. Um, are you running it on your own? Yeah, I'm running it on my own. All right. Yeah. Um, but I also have like 16 artists with me. So... Um, I'm sorry, you're running on your own, but you have 16 (laughs) artists. Yes, yes. Okay, so like... I don't even have 16 people on my team. (laughs) Okay, explain explain the situation. So um, the page is collaborating with 16 artists, right, for an indefinite period of time Mm -hmm. where... um, Because like, I think after one or two years of running MicroStory SG, I realised like it being in purely text format might not... appeal to like everyone Mm -hmm. I think like it would be good if there was an aspect of like visualizing who this person is okay so these artists come in when um the person submitting the story does not want their photo to be posted Mm -hmm. but would like to have some sort of um artistic representation of Mm -hmm. how they could look like or how they want to express themselves. Mm-hmm. So the artists, uh, they, they do like these portraits for them mm-hmm. and uh, it gets uploaded with the stories that oh. are shared onto the page. Very yeah. nice. So, um, yeah, I, I'm kind of uh, going to ask a, a question I'm quite personally um, invested in here, right? Mm-hmm. Which is, you are in activism and advocacy at... Um, you know, a time that is very current, right? Mm. Your 
um, engaging with individuals who you know could be as young as 15, 16 years old, right? Um, yeah, how do you think um, activism is changing, right? When you look at sort of the work that the old old guard, if I can call myself that, or if you look at, you know, <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? Because Wake Up was like eight years ago and then my career started, and then you have new narrative, right? Mm-hmm. So do you feel like there's, there's sort of a new wave of activism or advocacy and how do you sort of see that as being different from the old way of, of, of doing activism? Mm-hmm. I guess like right now we see a lot more internet presence mm-hmm. like not just on Instagram where there are like infographics and people sharing stories or perspectives mm-hmm. but even on like TikTok <laughs> there yeah. are people who like in one minute very concisely talk about like transphobia or like gender dysphoria these kind of things is this and, happening in Singapore? Mm, oh there are some people who speak up about it on TikTok on TikTok yeah. oh okay <laughs> yeah but it's it's only like I guess like two or three people that I could think of alright but a lot of it that I've seen come from again like the west or like mm-hmm. people in other more open and accepting countries that share about that advocate using TikTok like mm-hmm. within one minute like sharing as much information as they can as concisely as they can mm-hmm. and in creative ways as well like yeah. such as like using like skits and whatnot mm-hmm. to really bring the message across so I think like that's where the transformation is happening it's mm-hmm. bringing more accessible media mm-hmm. into um, the more the space of like the general public so that people can comprehend these I guess like concepts better mm-hmm. understand the situation better understand activism better mm-hmm. um, like just by like scrolling on our phones and like looking like scrolling past like three people dancing and then like one mm-hmm. post that talks about important issues like this yeah so I guess I want to ask here how do you see activism in Singapore progressing mm-hmm. right I think that uh, as as you pointed out, right, that there's a lot more work being done on social media, on the internet, um, and you know there are there are advantages and disadvantages to that. I think, right, on on one hand, you have uh, very free, very independent media. You have many diverse perspectives, but then on the other hand, you also sort of lose that power of like organization, sustainability. Um, there is also that emphasis on social justice issues, uh, on issues of diversity, right. Um, which I think, given our current political system, right, which is, again, quite focused on winning an election, quote-unquote bread and butter issues, mm-hmm. conservancy issues, you know, which Dr. Chi has been going on about, um, you know, there, there, there seems to be a little bit of a, of, of a distance there. So how do you see activism in Singapore kind of moving forward? It's taking on very new forms. It's taking on a more digital, a more social media form. How do you see that progressing into the future? Do you think that that's a good step, a step in the right direction for us? Mm-hmm. I think like the internet is definitely a good like starter, I guess, like for people mm-hmm. to gain perspectives, to understand issues better. Mm-hmm. But we also have to move beyond talking online to say like engage with our MPs mm-hmm. and like talk to them, bring across these issues, write like, um, what's that called? Like proposals, uh-huh. statements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And like um, really showing um like talking about how like these issues can be fixed like from a systemic like um power point of view yeah so um i think beyond the social media space where people have a space to engage freely Mm -hmm. to learn about these concepts that weren't introduced to us in our day-to-day or in schools um, to really interact with one another on these less talked about topics. Mm-hmm. We have to move into a more physical space as well, mm-hmm. talking to our MPs personally. Um, I mean, also like having more space for freedom of speech, mm-hmm. um, for demonstrations, for really having that uh, freedom of expression mm-hmm. and really pushing for, I guess, like a Singapore which is more equal which is more equitable, which has more justice and having that space to vocalize beyond the virtual space as well. All right. Well, I mean, since we're talking about the future, right, what Mm. are your plans for the future for My Queer Story? Mm. For starters, yeah. Currently, I don't have plans, but definitely it'd be great if more people get on board Mm -hmm. to help me out as well. I'm not too sure what I would need 
help with mm. at this point in time but like it'll be good to have more brains and more hands uh, mm. in running the page la. so yeah. do you see yourself sort of continuing on with this you know I'm just going to keep mm. compiling stories keep documenting mm-hmm. or do you feel like you know there's a need to change or expand or are you kind of happy with where the page is right now I think currently I'm quite happy with where the page is right now but definitely I would want to think further on what else this platform can do for mm-hmm. the queer community and also for everyone else trying to understand the community better. Mm. So, you yeah. would would you consider um, either you know expanding in in different directions? For example, mm. solidarity across borders. You know, I mean, this is something new narrative is very big on, uh, mm-hmm. obviously. But I know you're very limited. It's just you. Um, I guess are there similar sites in the rest of Southeast Asia? Um, or would you consider taking stories from around Southeast Asia or different languages, right? Mm-hmm. Um, coming out of our English language. I assume everything in, in the... Yeah, right yes, now English it's in language. English. Yeah. Yeah. So different languages, different um, parts of Southeast Asia maybe, mm-hmm. anything like that? Yeah, definitely that's something I've thought of before, which is why like the the email handle, right? It's microstory at gmail.com rather than microstory SG because that I, I do have... Um, it would be great if I could expand beyond Singapore to like bring light to these issues as well and like collaborate with activists uh, overseas to see how this page could be helpful for them as well. But this isn't something that I have looked into like very specifically at this point, but it's definitely something that I want to look into like in the future, in time to come, or perhaps like when I have more people on board, more hands on board, more manpower to manage these um, liaising and administrative aspects. Mm-hmm. So, so you kind of have the unique perspective here of being both in uh, cause-based activism with my queer story, but then also being with a political party, Red Dot United, you're in the youth wing there. So yeah, you know, you, you kind of see, you're kind of able to see from both sides, both perspectives, mm-hmm. right? Um, yeah, what, what, what do you think um, is going to be the direction for yourself moving forward? Right. Are you going to lean into one of them uh, or are you going to kind of hold both at the same time mm-hmm. as, as you continue on with your journey, with your mm-hmm. activism? Yeah. I guess like at least for the next four years when I'm not like entering the workforce yet, I would mm-hmm. still be like balancing both. But mm-hmm. after that, I would have to make a decision on whether I want to um, be more involved on cause-based advocacy mm-hmm. or like being... Um, more focused on the political path. I think I'm quite inclined to focus more on politics, not because I don't care about the issue, Mm -hmm. but because I recognise how these issues are very much systemically entrenched. Mm -hmm. And there's a need for um, a strong enough voice, say in parliament or in the political scene, to be able to push these legislative and political changes Mm -hmm. so that um, systemically we can have more, um, like, we can have a more equal society, I guess, yeah. So you, you mentioned that, um, you know, the next four years when you're not working, right? And of course, that ties into the fact that, you know, you just uh, finished your A-levels and you're going to be entering college, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, how, how do you sort of see yourself uh, now uh, moving forward in these next four years, right? How it, it, um, it, are you able to sort of manage? Like, how, how do you sort of um, balance school and activism mm-hmm. I guess like I've been doing it since sec 2 so okay, so I you're kind going, of so I guess yeah you're sort of used mm-hmm. to it so and and then so I guess the next four years will be kind of there for you to discover uh, mm-hmm. yourself and where you want to go like more politically or more issue based activism mm-hmm. okay can I put you on the spot mm-hmm. and you can decline to answer this one but um, do you feel like or what would you do if those your, your sort of two strands collided with each other, right? You have LGBTQIA plus communities, you, that sort of activism, mm-hmm. and then you have being a politician. Mm-hmm. And this is a huge problem in Singapore in that um, what we're seeing, especially since the success of the Workers' Party since 2011 on the back of these very, you know, stolid, boring, well, not boring, but conservative sort of focusing on bread and butter, this very conservative approach Mm -hmm. to politics. And it's dragged all the other parties towards that approach to the point where even certain parties which have a history of 
focusing on human rights. Uh, let's, you know, I'm not going to name names here, but uh, there are certain parties which have history of focusing on human rights and, um, you know, personal liberties, and they are now focusing on conservancy issues, drains not being cleaned. And it is a bit frustrating as someone who sees, as I, as I know you do, these things being intertwined. Um, and you're with a young party that hasn't really had the chance yet to really define itself. Um but I guess the the uh, the obvious challenge in the Singapore context is what happens if the leadership of your party says we shouldn't focus on, you know, LGBTQ issues because this is going to lose us votes. We're going to focus on, um, you know, the 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 fact that uh, the buses aren't running on time. Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, like. This is definitely something that I would discuss with the party leader as well if this really comes up into conversation whereby we don't want to focus on, um, whereby the party doesn't want to focus on like human rights or like LGBTQ plus issues, but rather want to take on the more like bread and butter issues. This is something that I would definitely bring up in like meetings and push for uh, there to be more attention to be on this like on, on communities that are disenfranchised and who are suffering under the current system because if we are not going to do it then like what what are our, what are our party like principles for mm-hmm. and all that you know so um, I guess it's like drawing back to like what our party stands for what we are pushing for in terms of like equality and justice and really like grounding ourselves in that and trying to make these like these like formative years, right? Because we just started these formative years, what matters, what counts in bringing about these conversations and really pushing for these when the election comes as well mm-hmm. in the next four, four to five years. Yeah. And if they say, oh, that's going to lose us votes. I mean, what do you think? I mean, there is, hmm. I mean, sure, it would lose some votes, but... I mean, that's where these four years are important, right? Mm-hmm. Where we engage with the public and um, get a sensing of like where they're coming from and how we can better bring across the issues that are faced by our minority citizens and right. try to get like our majority citizens to understand and have their allyship in that as well mm-hmm. so that we can have a Singapore for everyone rather than one that is just for people who would vote for... Um, MRT shelters or like um, uh, proper drainage but also like people who would vote for their friends who are facing discrimination and who are not um, properly protected by our laws and Mm -hmm. policies. Yeah, I think you're you're making a very very good point here that it's about building up a consistent argument that connects, um, you know, so-called bread and butter issues with broad issues of discrimination and inequality um, you gave a very good answer the last time you were on the podcast. We actually even made that answer one of the excerpts we put on social media, right? Um, but again, here, I think you 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 seem like you're expanding on that because what we often see is that um, people only pay attention during elections, mm. right? And, and I'm not blaming anyone. People have busy lives and you've got a lot of things to do. But it's also, as a political party, what, what, I, what I think you're saying is also like you need to make a consistent argument that draws these connections over four years and gives people a broader understanding of the situation so that there isn't this artificial divide between bread and butter and discrimination in their mm. minds. Mm. Right? Yep. Well, I guess that ties into the, the big question that we ask all of our guests here, which is, what is your theory of change, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so why why are you doing the things that you're doing? What kind of change do you hope to inspire? Um, and what kind of change would you like to see uh, in Singapore moving forward? Mm-hmm. Right, You've got a sort of interesting perspective. It's like the 10th time I've said that. But, <laughs> you know, I, I'm really curious to, 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 to hear, you know, mm-hmm. um, yeah, where, where do you think that we are headed how, where do you think we should head and how do you think it should be done mm-hmm. all right so i guess like the the main thing that i'm doing right now is very like ground up right like mm-hmm. um getting to um engage with the general public spreading awareness that kind of stuff and i guess like in time to come there's a need for top-down approach as well which mm-hmm. is why i want to get into politics so that we can make systemic changes to protect all our citizens right so I guess in time to come where there is like in the long run 
while there is a lot of not a lot I would say at this point while there is some social discourse there's definitely a need to have more space for conversations amongst our people while at the same time having um, legislative and political changes from uh, our authorities from our government as well mm-hmm. so that um, we are all moving together and progressing together as an entire country yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, okay, so how do you think that that's going to be done? I, I love the vision here. <laughs> I love the vision. Um, but I think as PJ was kind of hinting, mm-hmm. it, it looks a little bit difficult here. Right? Mm-hmm. I think that is a fairly good, not fairly good, but a fairly clear reason why politics mm-hmm. or uh, political work is kind of on one side and then cause-based activism is on another side, right? Because politics in Singapore really has been just deformed into this very weird pragmatic conservancy field battlefield I don't know what is going on there but Mm -hmm. you know there's a good reason there's an understandable reason why they are separate I understand I I, I should point out there's a deliberate policy of the PAP government since the 80s right to separate um, politics from the sort of very technocratic management of uh, town councils Mm -hmm. and it's been their deliberate policy to, f- to turn politics into just estate management rather than mm-hmm. to deal with these bigger issues. Mm-hmm. Uh, but sorry, I interrupted yeah. you. Please go on. So, so there's, a, there's, a big, um, there's a big gulf, right, between mm-hmm. these two spheres and you're trying to sort of navigate between the two. And your, sort of your initial answer is it's going to take the next four years for us to, to sort of work through that and work the ground, right? Um, I, I guess just the first question is, are you hopeful that you're going to be able to kind of thread this line that I, you know, very few people, if any, have, have gone down? I guess, yeah, there's hope. I mean, mm-hmm. without hope, I wouldn't be doing what I am today, right? Like, I'm hopeful for a future where people would be open to understanding, where mm-hmm. people would be open to listening to narratives that they might feel are unfamiliar to their own experiences. Mm-hmm. So I'm hopeful in that aspect, although like not, very hopeful in the sense that everyone in Singapore would become accepting in four years, Mm -hmm. right? But having more space for these conversations and um, slowly engaging people of different backgrounds to help everyone understand one another better, Mm -hmm. help understand our own people better and how we can best serve these people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one thing that's also quite uh, interesting here is that you seem to have a belief in this idea of top-down change right Mm. where we go into politics and we fix the structural issues um uh, that affect the broader society of singapore right and i think there's some people out there who don't necessarily think that that is possible Mm -hmm. or that that's even desirable right they think that the state is kind of always going to be this kind of gigantic monolith this 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 violent uh, apparatus that's always going to come down on the side of the minority. It's always going to stand in favor of the majority. So, you know, I, I guess, how would you sort of respond to that? How would you kind of negotiate that idea that, you, you know, you, you, you seem to have this idea that, okay, if I, if I get into politics, I can make top-down change. But, you know, is, is the state ever going to, you know, sort of make, be able to make that sort of top-down change? Because now we look at Joe Biden, um, there's still the violence of the state. There's still the violence of um, having to pander to certain groups, having mm-hmm. to kind of um, clean yourself up and make yourself kind of uh, presentable to the conservative sensibilities um, in order to get things done. So mm-hmm. do you think that politics or this sort of top-down approach is, is, is a viable one? I mean, I'm hopeful that in the long run it would happen. Maybe mm-hmm. not in 10 years, but hopefully like by the time like maybe my kids' generation or my grandchildren's generation come about, mm-hmm. that there would be that space where um, people in parliament are allies of minority communities mm-hmm. and who genuinely believe in the need for every single citizen to have the same rights, yeah. for every single citizen to live as a dignified first-class citizen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, people make po- make the politics, sorry. People mm-hmm. are what? like run the political scene or what run the government and it's up to people to make these systemic changes mm-hmm. so I think it's only with like more um, allies in parliament 
more people who care about these issues that we are able to make the systemic changes that allows for the people to have access to these resources and information as well mm. and that room for discourse like say um, opening up more spaces in the education system in MOE schools to talk about these issues to have more inclusive sexu sexuality education mm -hmm. to have discussion on racial issues in schools these kind of things mm -hmm. so I think um, yeah so we need like people in parliament more people who care enough about our country to be the ones making the political changes I guess mm -hmm. and um, so that our wider society will have that space for understanding and um, yeah and like just okay. <laughs> understanding I, yeah, I, okay yeah, yeah I, I sort of get the the <laughs> position now so it's not so much like oh you know we get into power we um, write the law and everything's like fine after that but rather that being in power and speaking out about these issues <laughs> and just representing an alternative perspective is a kind of top-down approach it is kind of already um, you know that that form of activism but uh, I just have one last question here and you know I'm going to put you in a little bit of a spot here but what's one thing that you'd like to see change a mm. direction uh, of progress I think that you'd like to see in youth activism mm. I guess like um, for people who have the capacity to Mm -hmm. Like people who are not like closeted queer people or anything, people who are straight, who are cis, mm -hmm. who are allies who are in a position of privilege to go beyond the social media space mm -hmm. and engage in conversations in person as well mm -hmm. to really try to get their ministers to care about these issues or like the members of parliament to like bring these issues up as well. Mm -hmm. I think activism has to really has to go beyond the social media space because how else are we going to reach the older audience mm -hmm. how else are we going to get um, say our grandparents and parents to be allies of our disenfranchised communities as well so I think it's a lot of um, having people in privileged positions to um, speak about these issues like at their dinner table mm -hmm. or like with their friends in their churches and these kind of things as well mm -hmm. yeah so just being allies beyond the virtual space mm -hmm. I think that would be a very good direction to move towards alright I was just um, struck by a thought that you know what you're proposing is a very um, sort of you know when you think of young activists you tend to think they're very radical. But now I'm, I'm, when I think about Singapore, listening to you and what you're proposing, oh, let's just get you know, into parliament and slowly create change. Let's have conversations. And then I think of all the people we've interviewed, right? Um, everyone's so sensible, you know? Everyone's <laughs> so... They've, they've got plans. It's all about um, slowly building coalitions of... Uh, under a common cause, right, to create collective action, to create change. And um, have we ever found a Singaporean activist who's like, you know, yeah, let's, let's tear down the whole system? I don't, I don't think so. Mm. You know, and, and I, I, I'm just reflecting on that, listening to you, and how I, I don't know if it's a product of our system, or if it's a product of, you know, or if it's, if it's just who we're interviewing. I don't know if mm. there are young anarchists and radicals out there. Because <laughs> Singapore used to be a great haven for anarchists in the sort of pre-post-World War II period. Uh, especially pre-World War II period. But it's very interesting how the, our society is so structured and controlled that even this very sensible sort of let's talk about things you know let's raise awareness let's get together and learn this is seen as a threat to the government this mm. is seen as radical in our context mm. you know this is where we are as a society today where talking is radical learning is radical mm. you know and do we really want that for ourselves mm. when things which are so intrinsically important to our growth as human beings become deeply radical and even seen as dangerous acts that threaten mm. the people in power. Mm. So that's just an observation. Yeah, that's just what I was thinking. <laughs> I, I, want, I want to jump off PJ's question here. I, I know I promised the last question, but jumping off of PJ's question here, mm. uh, do you or any of your friends feel a sense of fear speaking up as a young activist in uh, Singapore? Right. I know on my end, 
um, there is a there is a big there is a big fear um, of being called for questioning or investigated or arrested or charged with something uh, that we might say under some technicality or other. Um, and I think it affects us quite badly because, you know, we're quite young, we're in college and if we, if we get investigated and, you know, a lot of us live with our parents, um, yeah, it's gonna, it's gonna put us back a huge lot, right? So mm-hmm. do you feel that sense of fear? Do you, do your friends feel that as mm-hmm. well? I mean, there is definitely that sense of fear. For me, I don't really care. But like, I know like there are people who... How do you get to this Zen space? Hmm. How do I get to this Zen space? <laughs> I know it's kind of just like... Um, I mean, if I recognize these issues and I don't mm. step out to make change, then what about the hundreds and thousands of other kids who are going to come like in like... Who are in schools right now or mm. who are going to be admitted into these schools in 10 years? Like, how, how, how are they going to like live their lives as dignified people who are protected mm-hmm. and have a safe space uh, just existing mm-hmm. if we don't make the changes right now and since I have the capacity since I understand these issues just mm-hmm. go all out and like mm-hmm. do my best to make sure that these people don't have to suffer as much as I did mm-hmm. while I was growing up la. but is there a sort of like a, an atmosphere or a blanket of self-censorship in your own organisation and in the other uh, social media causes or pages out there um, that you know of and that you work with. Um, yeah, is that a blanket of sort of self-censorship that, that kind of just hovers there in the background? Hmm, I guess there would be. Mm-hmm. Like, for me, like, when I f- first started my career story SG, I would make sure there were no, like, expletives so that it would be more digestible for, like, mm-hmm. younger kids or, like, yeah. people won't be so pissed that there's, like, oh, like, the F word in, like, the, the narrative and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But I guess, like, eventually I realised, like, these are these are these people's narratives. If they want to express their um, frustration through certain languages, then, yeah, like, they should have the, mm-hmm. um, like, the freedom to do so, mm-hmm. like, you know. Yeah. So I guess, like, there was self-censorship at the start and it took time to, um, I guess, like, uh, unlearn that yeah. and like recognize that um, if even a space that is supposed to provide a safe space for people to share their narrative is censoring like these mm. um, these stories right then like what's what's the point you mm-hmm. know yeah I mean I, do you do you sort of fear I, I guess maybe it's a bit far away now but mm. you know this you are really getting into activism proper, mm-hmm. right? Both on the political front and the issue-based front, right? Uh, and you're very outspoken, you're very public about it. Um, do you sort of fear that that's going to affect your chances of getting a job in the future, going to affect the way that people see you in college um, when you when you do go? Yeah, is, is there this sense of like uh, a personal cost that's kind of hit yet? I don't think so. Because like, I think if anything, it just makes it clearer like... Um, to the organizations that I would like to work for about mm-hmm. like my my stance on human rights issues on LGBTQ plus issues mm-hmm. um, and I don't have the intention of working for an organization that isn't inclusive mm-hmm. isn't an accepting space mm-hmm. so I guess like yeah that isn't something that I'm worrying about alright okay so on that note um, thank you so much for speaking to us Elijah it's been really wonderful talking to you Um, and also if we want to follow My Queer Story how can we do that alright so we're on Instagram Mm -hmm. at MyQueerStorySG if you would like to write in to us it's MyQueerStory at gmail.com we're also on Facebook but it's not very active it's pretty much just reposting whatever is on Instagram but you can follow us on Facebook as well it's also at MyQueerStorySG yeah. All right. I actually, sorry, okay. I just thought of one question I wanted to ask earlier <laughs> that mm. I totally forgot, which is if someone listening to this is going mm. through the journey that you went through, right? They're mm-hmm. young, they're questioning. Um, what advice would you give and what resources would you point them to? Mm, okay. So um, first and foremost, if you're a young person, like before like university or like before tertiary, um, safety is your priority you still want a roof over your head you still want to have lunch and dinner every day so um, if it's not safe for you to don't come out yet mm. it's going to be a struggle but <laughs> you you need to have a safe space for yourself to survive before you can think of anything else uh, mm-hmm. aside from that and it's I wouldn't say it's okay but there are other people like you as well who do not have safe 
um, family spaces, people who are who don't have accepting relatives or parents, and um, know that that is not your only family. The queer community, people in the queer community, can be your chosen family as well. Mm. Go after COVID, go for queer events. Um, right now, we have virtual events as well that many queer organizations have initiated. So go there, find your community. TikTok, I know there are a lot of like once you find like one queer creator all the queer creators would like comment on that post so like find community there as well like the internet is a wonderful space for you to uh, find people like you and find people who are accepting who can provide a safe space to you so um, yeah find community and uh, where you can tie yourself through this period and also like potentially throughout your life as well have these chosen family have these supportive communities that um yeah they just like support one another and in terms of resources um like you, you can just i have a highlight on my queer story sg i don't remember what it's called mm-hmm. right now but like there's a highlight where, which provides like resources to mental health or like queer events or queer pages that provide support so you can look to that or you could just like scroll through the micro story sg following like pretty much all the pages there are pages that i personally find have been helpful Hmm. to me as a queer person and also to other queer people as well like say queer muslims or like queer um people in secondary schools that kind of things so yep yeah yeah, that's a that's a nice wealth of resources right there. So please go and check out my queer story SG on Instagram and on Facebook. Uh, and with that, I'd like to thank you, Elijah, for coming down and talking to us. It's been wonderful. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah, thanks, Elijah. It's been great. Uh, you know, you, having you, we we enjoyed you so much the first time. We've had you back a second time now, and this has definitely been a, a really terrific conversation so thank you and i'm really excited to see what you do in the future because you know you've got so much so much promise here and so much to, to offer singapore and the world and i'm you know i'm just really happy that uh we've we've intersected you know that we've um i've, I've um, met you early on this journey because this is mm. going to be really exciting so yeah so thank you uh, also to Sh- uh, Con- uh, Sean sorry <laughs> thank you also to our uh, to my co-host uh, Sean Francis Han um, as always great questions great hosting thank you to our members on Discord for joining us thank you to you our listener and those of you watching on YouTube as always if you found this helpful and if you enjoy the work that we do please do support New Narrative as a member go to newnarrative.com slash join um, or donate at newnarrative.com slash donate. We are almost entirely reliant on membership, subscriptions, and donations. So it's really, really important that if you want this work to continue to support us. Thank you very much and see you next week. Bye.